Hello, you are listening to the All Girls School podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett, a graduate from an all-women's college in Virginia. This podcast aims to highlight the diverse experiences and life journeys of graduates from all women's colleges. Listeners can expect to hear candid conversations about a wide variety of topics. This podcast strives to be in an inclusive space, so some guests may identify themselves as non-binary or trans. I hope you're ready because class is about to start. Hi, this is your host, Victoria Barrett. Just wanted to let you know before we jump into the episode that at the very beginning of this episode, we do have some audio difficulties. There's a bit of a delay and um, it might cause myself and my guests to kind of talk over each other a little bit at first, but as the recording goes on, it, it seems to buff out. So. As you're listening to the episode at the very beginning of it, just keep in mind that there is a bit of a delay and the sound does go a little bit in and out. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Um, Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Girls School podcast where I interview someone who has attended and or graduated from an all-women's college. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett. Um, I use she, her pronouns. And this week, I have another alum from Mary Baldwin. Surprise, surprise. Uh, She graduated a year ahead of me and commissioned into the United States Air Force, where she served on active duty uh, for eight and a half years. Uh, She ETSed in December of 2020 from the Air Force and is living her best life as a civilian. Uh, I'm excited to introduce Brittany Bullard. Welcome to the podcast. And first of all, thank you for joining me all the way from Bali. Wow, so cool. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I'm like super excited to reconnect with you and hear about everything that's going on with you right now. Um, but I do kind of want to like go back in time a little bit first before we do that and kind of revisit like the high school version of Brittany. Um, and what were you like in high school? What were some of your interests and your goals prior to going to college? Yeah. <laughs> For me, that's a really place. Um, who was I in high school? What was I like? I had zero direction. And I think that... Uh, my parents mother in particular <laughs> and was really worried. Um, in high school, though, I, I got into track at one point. And so track and field was really important. I built um, a sense of understanding of what it meant to have structure in place. Um, but aside from that, um, I was really aloof in classes. I listening and um, I really kind of lived in my own little dream world. I loved listening to music at home and being out in nature. And, um, to me, school was like a really difficult, um, difficult experience in that I, I had a really tough time and being fully present. I had no goals, basically. <laughs> wow. That to me is kind of just surprising from like, the version of you like in college that I knew 
yeah, I think college, um, college definitely brought out a different side of me. It was a real big opportunity for me to step into, um, yeah, to to change things for myself. But it was it was a it was a brutal awakening. I, I needed it. That's so cool. Yeah, I would have never guessed. That's so that is like so interesting to me. So how then did you end up at Mary Baldwin? Mm. So my my true story of how I ended up at Mary Baldwin. <laughs> so as I told you, I was this cooler with and, and didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. And my dad, uh, some of you might know, but my dad is a West. So here's a West Pointer with a daughter who doesn't know what she wants in life. You know, can you imagine? <laughs> and so I was, uh, it was my, it was high school graduation. And my dad looked at me and he was like, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I think I'm going to like the community college maybe and like pick up some classes and figure it out. And he looked at me and he was like, no, we're going to go to Zeke. And so my, um, for those of you who know, my, my roomie of all four years at Mary Baldwin, uh, Jane Chadwell, she and I were, were friends since we knew each other since elementary. And so um, I knew that she was going to Mary Baldwin and that she had kind of like done this overnight program, women's college with a military program. And I thought, okay, if I really want to get my dad off my back, I'll just tell him, like, sure, let's go check out this school. <laughs> and so we did. And Larry Baldwin fashion, they had like a full board meeting, like where we showed up and my name was on the board. And it was like, Brittany, welcome. And they're like, you're accepted. And I kind <laughs> of looked at my dad and I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> And that's how I ended up at Mary Baldwin. Yeah, I was basically just like, yeah, you know, I want to make my dad happy at a school. I know Jane Chadwell's going to this school, so let's try it. That's awesome. I So I knew, like, you and Jane were, like, friends, but I didn't realize, like, since elementary school. That's a long time. Yeah, we weren't like we didn't we knew of each other right mm -hmm. since elementary school. We've been in the same like schools uh, ever since. Um, and then in middle school is when we started to like build our our friendship. I would say, and then high school we really like senior year we really became close. Yeah, do y'all by chance have like a nickname? I'm just curious because obviously me and Harrison created our own nickname, so I just. You know, do y'all have a nickname by chance? <laughs> no, we don't. That's really cute. I love that. But you know what? And Jane would like maybe approve of this, I feel. Jane would never have a nickname. It is not her thing. Like Jane doesn't even do hugs. Like would she do a nickname? No, no. <laughs> but like, tell me if I'm wrong, Jane, like for sure. But like, no, <laughs> we're not there. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually interviewing her next week, so I'll definitely ask her. Ask her. I'm I will. so curious what she says. Yes, I'm going to ask her. 
Yeah. Right? Okay. Okay. So Jane was like the one with the plan to go to Mary Baldwin, like initially, and you kind of just like tacked on to it. Like, yeah. Like, I'm excited to see now, like yeah. when I interview Jane, like how Jane stumbled upon Mary Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Hers is a cool story, and I'm curious how she'll tell it. Yeah, that's that's a fun. Now I'm excited. Um, yeah, so I guess, like, this probably answers the next question. Like, you, did you ever expect to, like, be in an all-women's college? No. I, this is the other thing, too. I was little tomboy girl so like all my friends were boys for the longest time when I was young our neighbor uh growing up there were these two boys and like we'd literally play in the woods and build Legos together and uh I like cut off my Barbie's hair to be like their G.I. Joe's um <laughs> Yeah, I would like play basketball with the boys. I didn't really play basketball, but I just like liked, I think, the simplicity that boys at that age were. Mm -hmm. um, so for me to be at an all women's college, to find myself there was just shock. Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised. It was yeah. not in my plan. Yeah, I... I kind of resonate with that to where, like, I very much, especially when I was younger, younger, I, like, only played with, like, the boys. Like, and maybe that's because I was into sports and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, definitely kind of on the same page with that. But as I got older, I noticed I enjoyed, really? like, yeah. yeah, the company of, of, like, being around women and, like, playing sports, like, being on sports teams, like, Eventually, I had to play, like, on sports teams that were all girls, right? But, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think when, when younger instances are less, Osama delay. Oh, I think we do. But I was just going to say, yeah. I am, um, like, yeah, when younger and the differences are less, uh, it's really easy to, like, uh, find a lot of like friendship within both sexes um and, yeah there reaches a point in time where you just go oh wow like it's nice to be around women who can understand what this experience is like because we have our unique set of experiences so um yeah totally resonate with that shift in time of like where we went from playing with with the boys to like realizing how nice it is to have women around us yeah. Yeah. I think you make a good point. Like, I think once you like hit puberty and stuff, obviously, like there's those different gender roles and expectations from society. So our experiences do kind of go in different ways. And so it is nice having that community with women because they do understand that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Total unspoken, like underling, yeah. Mm -hmm. So once you got to Mary Baldwin, how did it go? What was your experience like? Oh man, uh, so many things, so many things. I mean, 
first thing that comes to mind is just being in uh so so the first thing I guess we did go to to wilderness. Um what is it called? Uh yeah. I what did we call that? I think it was called wilderness. I don't know. But I think it was yeah. called wilderness. Yeah, I think that's what it was called, to be honest. Very literal. <laughs> it was literally uh, in the wilderness. Um, you know, you guys kind of go from this like kumbaya. I was like, this is cool. This is great. This is fun. Like, I, I, can, I mean, I missed showering, I think, by the seventh day. But it was a really, it was a really fun time. And then you get off the buses and everything changes, right? When you arrive back at, at Mary Baldwin. And I just remember having this OPI paint polish. I think it called Mod About You. It was my favorite <laughs> OPI color. <laughs> so funny. Uh oh. <laughs> and and here I am, and I'm thinking nothing of it. Like this is like muted tone. This is appropriate. And I just remember the first day, Sergeant Harrington drilling into me. And from that day on, I was known as Barbie. Um, so yeah, how was like, yeah, like stages and layers and levels to it. But that was like the first shock of like, oh, uh, what did I get myself? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think that uh, we could go. We could go many directions with that. Then, 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 question: How was that experience? Mm -hmm. It was amazing. I mean, it changed my life. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's that initial shock when, and I completely get what you're talking about. Where, like, they're very nice to us. Like when they're recruiting us, and like before everything starts, like the orientation days, wilderness. Yeah, is very much about like. Let's bond, get you to bond as a class. Like your wilderness cadre are very nice to you, like building rapport. But then, yeah, it's like soon as you get back, it's like everything's different. And it's like <laughs> the the mood changes like real quick, like very quick. Um, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, cadre week is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, now we're in the military program. This is it. <laughs> yeah, stuff gets real real. Who was, like, the most intimidating? I know you mentioned, like, Sergeant Harrington. Like, was there anyone else that kind of, like, stood out as just, like, someone who just was, like, really intimidating cadre-wise? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, I think everyone, but yeah, yeah, specifically, I remember Sergeant Harrington, remember Sergeant Figueroa, remember Sergeant Bailey, too. Hmm. What was yeah. cool about Sergeant Bailey, if I remember, you'd, you'd see moments of her, like, breakthrough, and uh, I kind of always was like that. Um, yeah, but all of them. All 
Yeah. I feel like, especially like once we become cadre, it's like, it's almost like a mask. It's like you can be like happy and then you can go like, just turn it on. Like, it's kind of wild when, when we do that. Ah. And I'm curious now actually to ask you because we were a year different. It's intimidating for you then. Um, honestly, I feel like we weren't very intimidated by the juniors or seniors. It was all your class. Like, I think your class did like a really good job. And there are just so many of you. Uh, but I think honestly. Yeah, that's right. I was in fourth platoon and I'm going to bring this up to to jane but like jane like did a really good job of like turning it on for cadre week like all of the corporals in fourth platoon like they were legit like they were intimidating for sure um and yeah i i also really sucked at like learning drill and ceremony like i didn't do jrtc or anything like a lot of other people had and so i really struggled um, I'm not coordinated. So, like, I was, like, the problem, like, project child for fourth platoon. Like, <laughs> I was always the one getting pulled off to the side for extra instruction. And that's when, like, they kind of had to, like, stop being intimidating because I think I couldn't learn very well in that environment. Wow, I never knew this. I had no idea. I had no idea that was your experience. Yeah, I yeah, I really struggled with like picking up like drill and ceremony. Like it was a struggle for me. But yeah, I yeah, mean, uh, interesting. I, I think all I yeah, your whole class was intimidating for sure. Um but I think after we broke out it was yeah, it was less intense. But your class in general like was kind of intense. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were. I think we were. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Good group. But I I think, like, also our classes ended up having, like, a really good, like, working relationship, especially, like, as we progressed through the core, which was nice. Yeah, I really felt, like, a synergy between our classes, honestly. I think that we fought a really beautiful relationship. I really, yeah, I remember that really well. Just that feeling. And I especially felt it with you and I. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we had a really good working relationship. And I don't know if you noticed the um, picture that I have, like one of the first posts that I have on the podcast, if you scroll through, is me and you from Junior Dads. It's, it's like, honestly, one of my favorite photos um, and junior dads, yeah, I, I was hoping we would kind of go down this route to talk about like the relationship between like our classes because um, I don't know if your class knows how much like that meant to us um, when y'all stepped up to play those roles for our honor ceremony because we did get, you know, put in like a really tough bind when, um, you know, 2014 ended up not participating. And uh, I just, yeah, I remember coming to you and like laying out this scenario and like your entire class was just like so generous and willing to help, which like I think means a lot because the way junior dads works like that honor ceremony, typically, you know, 
seniors get to like take a break like it's the juniors like doing it all like leading everything with like the help of the sophomores and the nulls so it meant a lot to us that y'all like didn't even think twice about stepping in to help us because that I mean obviously you know junior dads is like kind of like one of the quintessential um events like at Barry Baldwin and that honor ceremony is like a big deal for for junior cadets uh, wow I'm really I'm really just touched getting for this and how much also like need you to remind me what exactly happened that year the the details are a little fuzzy it's funny I interviewed McFarlane like a couple of weeks ago and she was like how do you remember all these things and I was like I don't know it just it just sticks I don't know I, I just like remember um so like the details are fuzzy so I don't like want to like get all of them wrong so like whoever's listening especially if they are a member of the class of um 2014 like this isn't like, if I get the details wrong, I'm sorry. Um, obviously, it's been a long time. It's like water in the, under the bridge. It's not a big deal. But um, I think there was a miscommunication between um, one of our class members, um, like, as a platoon leader for the honor ceremony with 2014 as far as, like, who was going to um, take what roles. And I don't know if they just failed on communicating with 2014 or if 2014 didn't communicate with them in time about like filling a sergeant's role and so I think mm -hmm. I think yeah I think Sanchez just had like um a null end up taking that role or giving a role that you know someone in 2014 would have wanted um for the honor ceremony and you know 2014, I will give them, like, they are probably one of the most tight-knit, like, sister null groups, um, at least in the time that I was there, that I can remember. And, you know, they really stood by each other in their decisions. And because, like, um, some of them weren't in those specific positions for the honor ceremony, like the sergeant's positions or something of that nature, um, 2014, like, opted as a whole class not to participate in our um, junior dad's honor ceremony. And, I mean, we were a very small class, so it's not like we could move people around to, to cover down on that. And, like, training the sergeant's positions would have been difficult uh, with, like, filling it in with all, mm -hmm. like, knolls. So, yeah, I when that happened, I remember, um, yeah, I remember, like, going and asking you and your class if you know y'all would be willing to help us out and I mean and and y'all did and I think like I think it was honestly like really fun and it honestly made it it made that ceremony almost more special in a way mm -hmm. to comments on your point of it made it special that moment uh, yeah I'm just getting to reflect upon that and like how you live that and it still sits with you today and I'm really just in gratitude um yeah it's a really special I feel like between our two classes and I feel like every single person walked a really beautiful line of whole 
um, a respectability with one another and a profession, uh, I want to say personality, (laughs) but a professional nature. Yeah. And, um, but all just like cared about each other. I think we just really saw each other. Uh, so walked this really balanced line, it felt. Um, it's really cool to get to continue that today. You today. Yeah. Um, and still feel that. I really still feel that with you. Yeah. I Yeah, I definitely feel that. And like, that's one of the reasons I was so excited um, for this interview. Like, I feel like some of the most exciting ones are with like members of your class, just because like you said, we did have like that relation like a stronger relationship like working relationship professional relationship like there's that supportive energy like I really care about how each and every one of you are doing and I feel like that's vice versa like that uh, that your class also genuinely cares about how we're doing and we're constantly like cheering each other on especially now as like we're adults and we've embarked on like our journeys wherever they've taken us I want to take because we're on the topic, but I want to like brag on you a little bit. The the sheet for today for the episode, yeah, it's like a sheet basically. So it says like the time and like location, like has all the yeah. And I'm I'm opening it and reading it. And I just was like, this is like one of the reasons I love this person so much. <laughs> you know, it just like brought me right back to those days of like mornings and having this checklist, you know, handy from you, um, opening up the rifle. Who you are, how you carry yourself, um, this that you create by. Um, organized and detailed and concise and precise I think I was saying that to you too as we were leading up to today I'm I'm just so appreciative um yeah yeah Yeah, that was a really cool time in my life and I think it was because you and I bounced really well energy off of one another you had everything that I lacked you know, I didn't have those checklists and that 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 way of like looking at things so precisely. I think I saw things more big picture and I saw, OK, well, this is going to create this impact and so and so is going to feel this way if we do this. And I think I saw this like overarching um, way of approaching the core. And you saw like the details of, OK, well, we've got to do this in order to get there. And I really saw us too working hand in hand and uh, that was a really beautiful period um, for many reasons, and and that being one of them, I really loved what we were creating together. Yeah, I I think we had like a really great like working relationship from like the beginning. Like as soon as I found out like I was going to be sergeant major and you were going to be first captain, and I yeah I I totally agree about how like we balanced each other. Um, I am definitely a perfectionist and dare definitely like have those checklists and try to be organized, but it's nice because I don't have like that bigger picture sometimes, like that overall arching vision. Um, and so it's nice to have that balance. 
And I think it's just kind of like the nature of our positions too. Like you are first captain, like you're the face of the core. You're like driving the core for that year and what we're doing. And you're concerned about everyone and everything with the core. And I'm like the sergeant major. So like it's about that precision too, like making like all the little steps of like drill and ceremony um like the execution the operations piece of it so yeah i think we just had like such a great working relationship and i think that's why you know it was just so easy especially when those things happened for like junior dads that like it was just kind of like a no-brainer um when y'all stepped up and that was very nice just want to reach across the screen with you <laughs> i know i was like that's the bad part about virtual it's like i love that like we get to connect virtually but also i so like enjoy like the in-person interviews because i yeah i feel like it would be so cool to like interview in person and yeah but you know i'll take what i can get you know this is awesome okay. yeah yeah um, so let's see. Uh, so speaking of you being first captain, how, like, how did you end up deciding to go that route? Like, kind of like we talked about, it mm -hmm. seemed like, you know, your null year, your freshman year, you may have not have envisioned yourself like with that interaction with like Sergeant Harrington uh, with the nail polish, like getting the nickname Barbie, like would anyone have expected you like your senior year to be first captain? I can't speak for everybody, but I would say that no one probably expected it. My included at all. At all. Um, yeah, I just remember like this moment and it, and it, it was, it was, it was complex, you know, at the time because really the, the person who was clearly going to be first captain was McFarland. I mean, it was just so clear. Like she was to be our class captain from day one. I mean, the dedication of this woman. I mean, the she's amazing. Like, need I say more? <laughs> it was just, it was, it was the clear path ahead. And in my eyes too. And I really just remember one day kind of like probably sitting in my dorm room going, oh, I, I don't know if you've ever had these moments in life where like, you just kind of realize, oh, shit, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to go for that. Like, it doesn't matter if I if I get it. Um, and, and for those who, like, uh, might not know what our process is like in the Corps of Cadets, each year you go before a board for promotion. And in that board, you you speak your druthers. So, you know, the top three positions of, of what you'd like to be in the court and why. But 
it's a process that requires you to think, right? You to really think before you meet board. What what do I want? and not do I what do I want out of an egoistic play? Though I'm sure possible, right? We could all go there and might have been there at certain points. But like really, like ask what what do I do? You know what what do I go for this next year? Who am I? What have I learned? It's it's a it's a true assessment and one's growth in in the core. So um, I feel like that's important to understand uh, for those who who are unfamiliar. So it was it was very you know and and the board and in preparation for that, I just was getting this this feeling in my body that I couldn't ignore, and I was like, oh man, I'm supposed to go for captain. And I was like, man, but I, I can't do that to McFarland, you know? And I, I really was in this term. I was in a real big internal conflict of do, do I silence this voice inside me so that I can appease my classmates and a person who I respect so greatly? I actually get a middle thinking about it. So it was a big turning point for me. It was a big, like, young girl who didn't know what she wanted to suddenly feel, oh, I think, I think I'm supposed to do this. So I had this choice, you know, do I, do I make my class happy and not, and not stir up uh, in, in what's meant to be clearly? Or do I just get a shot and listen to that voice? And I, and I did. And ultimately... No, it led me to being first captain. And I, I remember the, the announcement came out. And for as close as Jane are, you know, we lived together, um, which like is a whole episode in and in of itself. <laughs> um, she had no idea that I had applied to be first captain. So I remember was a conversation where she looked at me and she's like why didn't you tell me oh and I really I didn't tell anybody because I actually don't know if I really thought I was gonna get it I just knew I had to listen to the voice oh but I, I didn't tell anyone yeah that's so cool yeah. yeah I didn't know that but I I definitely understand what you're saying like when you have that voice that's just you feel it and it's telling you something. And I, and I feel like we do have to listen to it because it, that voice is talking to us for a reason. And I know sometimes it sounds cliche, but like we, you know, we have all these choices that we weigh and like they do ultimately lead us down these paths. And I truly believe like at least every time I've listened to that voice and followed down that path, like it's because it was meant to be that way. So you listening to that voice of telling you, you know, to go for it was because that's what you were meant to do. And, you know, that's just your gut was, you know, telling you to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And my life, you know, could have different had I not. And um, that was such a disservice me in my journey and my growth. And, you know, you might have talked about this with, with McFarland and um, 
and you know she can correct this too if it's incorrect but from what i it ended up being perfect that i became first captain because she actually had um un- the time a year ahead of her where she had to focus on something really important in her life and uh i'll spare the details but like it actually ended up so harmoniously because for her she was actually being called in another direction than at her with its own set of of needs that year she wasn't actually able to commit to the role in the way that she had hoped mm-hmm. uh so it was really interesting to watch them do and go wow you know i guess you really do you have to just you have to just have to listen though if it makes sense even if it's not rational um we have to explore those those uh callings yeah yeah, because, I mean, you never know what can happen. So, uh, yeah, I think that's awesome that you listened to it and that you pursued it. And hopefully that's something that you continue to do in life. And, like, anyone who's listening, if they ha- have, like, that feeling, too, of, like, they feel like they're being called to just trust trust their instincts and to kind of just follow it. Yeah, yeah, trust it. And, and then be like... You're so right. If if anyone's listening, it's you're building trust with yourself by trusting it. Right. That's the that's the the crazy thing I find is you're actually building a, a deeper trust within yourself. Oh, I can trust that the next time this feeling comes, I can listen to it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I kind of want to shift a little bit away from the will and more onto like um air force rotc because so you did air force rotc um and then you commissioned into the air force so what made you want to join air force rotc once you got (laughs) once you got into college okay people are propping up on this theme of me at this point (laughs) That Brittany has never had a plan. Um, I was in Army ROTC because that was uh, what I knew. You know, my dad was a West Pointer. Need I say more? <laughs> and, and Jane was in Army ROTC. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I, I reached a point where I was just like, and this is just not the vibe for me. <laughs> I remember coming back from an FTX. And, you know, I, I'm like all about being in nature. Like I'm cool. Like I'm like a tomboy, but like, I was just so, I was so, I felt so out of my element at that FTX. And I was like, this is not. And someone said to me, I was dating a guy at the time, actually. And he goes, well, why don't you just switch to air force? And it was like this light bulb, like, bing. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I switched to air force. I don't have to do any of this. Um, so yeah, I made the switch sophomore year and it was right as, uh, let's see, it was right as the sophomores for Air Force were going into their training for whatever our training is called in the Air Force. You go for a month, um, 
in the summer between your sophomore and your junior year. And it's a highly competitive, selective period. And I didn't know this. I just entered it, right? <laughs> Going, sure, I just want to get out of this army thing, like put me in the Air Force. And, um, and here I am in, uh, in this selective process to determine whether I am equipped to go to training that summer. And so that's where the trajectory of Air Force begins. And spoiler alert, I, I, I got in and I ended up going to uh, training that summer in, in Alabama. Man, Alabama. Yeah, it was Alabama in, I think I had one of the later trainings. It was like July period. So it was like proggy. Um, I remember getting back home after like a month of being out in just like literal swamp, like, and, you know, you're carrying a camelback most of the time you're there. It's like you're, it's like your second skin, this camelback. And I just remember having these lines on my back that like were with this camelback of just like, I had like broken out my whole body, you know, it was just like, so gross, so gross. Oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, it was it. It was such an experience, um, but I actually had an amazing time. I really did. Yeah, I think that that was like where I started to really see a lot about my a lot more about myself. You know, V will was the uh, uh, an initial shocker that first year, uh, and then this was like building upon that and showing me what greater potentiality lied within me if I really stepped outside of my comfort zones and really disconnected from everything that I knew. So yeah, that, that began my Air Force trajectory. Um, because from there, you start to go down the, the career path at that point of uh, what will I get assigned and uh, will I get assigned and so I think that answers your question, right? We were going down the Air Force path. Yeah. Yeah, no, that answers it. And if I remember correctly, I, I am trying to see if my memory is as good as McFarland says. Was your major international economics? Dang, you're good. <laughs> yeah. It was international economics and business. And you want to know how I landed that major? Did I, How do you know this story? Mm-mm. I literally went, I don't know what I want to major in. I don't know what I want to do. So I opened up the course booklet. I closed my eyes. I flipped through the pages. I took my finger. I went like this. And I went, international economics and business. Sounds cool. That's my major. Oh, my goodness. That's so um, wild. So, yeah, that was my major. I'm super impressed you remembered. Um, cause I often get, but yeah, that, that was it. That was totally it. Yeah. Cause I was an international relations major, so it was very like close. And I think I remember I had to take like an economics class or whatever, and you were in like a higher level one, uh, at the time. So yeah, I think that's why it stuck. Honestly, I couldn't tell you how I remember this stuff, but I do. It's so cool. And then so you were in international relations, which Jane was too. Yes. Jane was like double triple major or something like this but jane was also international so you probably segued a lot of classes mm -hmm. too did you have a lot of classes together 
I, we had like some segue, but we definitely, if we weren't in the same classes, we both like would talk about Dr. Bowen, one of the, <laughs> he was like one of the main instructors. Yeah. I remember us like chatting about Dr. Bowen a lot. He was a very like quirky, probably the quirkiest professor I've ever had. Like his personality was just like so interesting. Like I, there will, like, there's no one like him. <laughs> those are the ones that stick with me like i don't know about you but those are the ones that really stick right the ones yeah. that are quirky i love a quirky professor yeah <laughs> no he was like i remember we had this one um i remember we had this one teacher from india who taught algebra for one year and i i'm terrible at math and i think this was like a third iteration of algebra and all of a sudden i just got it like i i just totally understood it um, and it was because he was super quirky. He had this cool accent. And I was just like totally entranced. And I was like, I am here. I am here to learn. <laughs> but yeah, I really like I really have such a respect for teachers who are able to bring their personality to the room and then use that for the betterment of everybody else. Yeah. They don't hide who they are. They just are who they are. Yeah. Super yeah. cool. Yeah. I remember hearing about Dr. Bowen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> He was quite a character, like just, mm. yeah, it's even, it's kind of like hard to describe him. But so um, you end up commissioning in the Air Force. What was it like after you commissioned? What kind of, what was your role? Like what kind of jobs did you do um, once you commissioned? Yeah. That's like a whole story in and of itself. But like to like chop it down, I ended up going active duty uh, a couple months after graduation and uh, was first sent to Intel school. So my assignment was I was going to be an Intel officer with, let's see, they called it operational experience. So I was being sent to Intel school to become an acquisitions officer four years later with a background in Intel. Oh. So off I went to um, Texas for training. It was a nine-month training. And uh, I made it eight months. And I failed out of the training at eight months. I think, I think we were like a couple weeks to graduation. So I actually already had my follow-on assignment. And I was to be stationed in Nevada. And um, yeah, I can, you know, when you can like reflect upon something and be like, oh, yeah, like that worked out the way it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, the failure was really uh, shocking and it, it was really difficult for me to accept. Uh, just it was embarrassing and I, it, it actually put my career on the line now now I'm remembering too so not only was it oh like you failed like we're gonna go send you back to acquisitions it was oh you failed and we don't know if we're gonna send you to acquisitions we actually don't know if we want you in the air force anymore so it was this huge like turning point where I was like whoa I haven't even like really begun my career I just graduated and like now this all might be over 
So I was facing a lot of a lot of internal dilemma again. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting stationed. I ended up staying in. General Bissell actually wrote a letter of recommendation. I needed letters of recommendation. Uh, General Bissell wrote a letter for me and uh, gave me some really sage advice the way he does <laughs> on a few phone calls. And um, yeah, then off I went to Los Angeles. And so my career that I spent, I got, I guess, nearly eight years in. Um, by the time I got to Los Angeles, eight years in acquisitions specifically to do with space at the Space and Missile System Center. And uh, from there in Space Force. So my career was in the Air Force slash Space Force in Los Angeles. And that was that was what um, my experience then became. And from there, uh, it was really cool, actually, now that I, I look back and see Every single year, I was pretty much changing jobs, changing projects. If you look at like my history, I think every one and a half to two years, at least, um, I was switching to a new project, a new program. And I couldn't really understand that at the time, but it really gave me the, this breadth and depth of the center and the missions. And it just gave me a lot of opportunity to interact with different people and see things from different perspectives. It was really it was a really incredible time. So you were able to spend all that time in the same location? Yeah, that's a whole that that's a whole nother chapter we could go into because that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Um you should be moving locations. So you should if you're on trajectory or on the normal path every three years on average, right? Three to four years. Mm-hmm. But I had a set of bizarre circumstances occur and uh and they kept me in LA well I think what's cool about that and like I understand why the military does what they do like moving people around and from job to job but that probably meant you were able to become like a master of like your craft like within acquisitions you probably were like a subject matter expert in in that area where you were located Mm, i i feel like i would be taking way too much credit but thank (laughs) you to say that i was a a SME of any sort but you know what i think i have to give myself credit to is that um i really like people like i really love people i love connecting with people and so it it gave me time at the center to connect with everybody. I mean, I knew everyone there. <laughs> I knew the people in legal. I knew the people in equal opportunity office. I knew the people at the gym front desk. I knew. <laughs> and so um, for me, I feel like what I have to realize in life is like, you really don't need to know everything. But it helps. If you know people and you know who to go to when you when you need something. And so whatever happened at the center, I knew who to call and I knew who could help me. And um, I really had beautiful friendships there. I really had beautiful people walk into my life who are still in my life, some of them. And uh, yeah, it, for, you know, eight years. Um, 
yeah, definitely gave me that that advantage in my job. And really grateful for that. Do you remember when uh, Harrison and I uh, met you for like breakfast at like in Venice? Like Venice Beach area? Whoa, I totally forgot about this. Yeah, I know exactly where we went now. Okay, tell me more. What else do you remember? It's actually kind of funny. I mean, I feel bad, but like, so me and Harrison were late because when we were there, Harrison did do most of the driving. I don't, you know, driving in California stresses me out. I feel like now that I live in Northern Virginia, like I've gotten better with like stressful, like, you know, being in a more crowded area and driving. But um, Harrison made me drive to that morning. And so finding parking was wild. We were late because it took us forever to find parking space. And then like the wildest thing is you ended up getting a parking ticket. Like, because you were parked right across the street. And, um, yeah, you ended up, like, the parking. I remember we were, like, just chatting, eating our food. And then all of a sudden, like, you just, like, spot the person that's, like, coming around to give tickets. And you just, like, take off and, like, go talk to them. But you, like, it didn't work. You still got the ticket, the parking ticket. Okay, this is like the most LA thing that could have happened yeah. first. And second, I had a clean parking ticket record. I was proud of that. I was so proud of that in LA. I was definitely not one of these people who was just like, ah, oh, screw it, another ticket. Like I was like clean. I read the signs. I knew yeah. when and where. That's hilarious. I can now see myself totally being like, yeah, shooting off running, trying to track down that that man yeah i'm really sorry i'm sorry i left you guys hanging there at lunch not cool oh no like you were it was you were literally parked right across the street so we were just watching you like beg this man not to get you the ticket it was funny yeah i mean i obviously i felt bad because you had to pay money for the ticket but the scenario looking back was kind of ironic because it took Harrison it really and I so long. It really wasn't much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't about the money at all. It was just about the pure fact that, like, I had yeah. a clean record. I did not want that parking ticket. Yeah. Really didn't want that parking ticket. And I remember exactly where we were now. We were eating at Flake, I think it's the name of it, on um, on Rose. And across the street is my yoga studio, too, that I was always going to. So yeah. I was like, I was like, I, I know this street. Yeah. Like, I'm here every day. Like, I remember. Now I, I remember. Song. Yeah. You were like very adamant about like, <laughs> like, why did I get this parking ticket? Like, I, I'm familiar with this area. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I just thought that was funny. Like, I don't, the, obviously, I know we probably talked about a lot of other things during our like breakfast but 
you know, that is all that stood out now. Yeah. That is all that stood out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. But so now let's kind of catch up to where you are now. You have come off of active duty in the Air Force and yeah, you are. Can you share like what happened when you came off of active duty, like how you got to where you are located now and what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. I I left active duty and, you know, it was, it was during pandemic. So my original plans were kind of like out the window. And I just knew, okay, let me drive cross country, go visit family and kind of like, like feel out where I'll go. And I finally made it, you know, five months later to post on is and my sister's and air for like maybe a month. And a girlfriend called me up and I had lived in Los Angeles and met through yoga, our yoga student. And her company had sent her back to France during the pandemic. She's French, and so they, they back to France. And uh, she was like, hey, I miss you. And for her, she'd always wanted to come to Bali. It was like her dream. She wanted to come and live here and find a home and and uh, she goes, I know you have no interest in coming to Bali because I, I really had zero interest. She goes, but would you do it for me? I miss you. And, you know, a month later, I'm here. And I, I basically never left. And she also never came. Oh, my <laughs> God. crazy story. She had to cancel her ticket. Yeah, she had to cancel her ticket right before. And uh, something in me, the voice said, go anyway. And, and I came and yeah, I've, I've been here since. So it's going on. It's going on its third year now. That's so cool. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, been really, it's been really a special time in my life. And it's been the culmination of many, many prayers and much, much... Um, you know, work and effort to get here, unbeknownst to me at many times. But but basically, a huge part of my life prior to to coming here um, is when I was in California, I was really blessed to come across this way of tea. And, and basically, I met my tea teacher, a tea teacher out there. Um, and I really in-depth tea. And not just like any any tea, but but tea as a form of meditation, tea as a form of of life. And uh, so when I arrived to Bali, I I came with a backpack, and that backpack really just had a bunch of clothes in it that I was going to actually give away to Goodwill. But I thought, oh, I'll just take these because I don't know what going to happen in my life. I don't know where I'm going to go. I want to be as light as possible and, and not care about the, the things that I'm carrying, not have an attachment to the things that I'm carrying. So I came with a backpack and I left all my tea things going, 
I'm really curious about who I am without this, though. Like, this has been such a cornerstone of, of who I am for, for a few months now. But who am I without this? And so I got to Bali and uh, with the being here, I start meeting people who are opening a tea house and they've studied the same tradition and they basically want me to start serving at the tea house. And I feel like that's probably what kept me here. Um, that was my original aspiration was to get out to to Taiwan and, and sit with my teacher and get out to China and sit with the trees. But uh, the universe had other plans. And so here I am in Bali. Um, a tea house opened a month after I arrived. And, and that's where I spend most of my time now. They're home uh, in my practice or, or at the tea house serving there. So that kind of like is a, a huge pivot in our conversation. Um, yeah. But that, that's, that's what brings me here and keeps me here. That's, wow. Like, you literally only went with a backpack. That is just so, like, wild and brave and, like, yeah, that's so, like, I would have never guessed that, just, like, showing up with nothing but, like, a backpack and, like, just really trusting yourself and kind of like the process and it's just wild how everything fell into place like it's that seems like a theme of like just like answering that call and somehow things you know do just fall fall into place when like you like answer that voice and you you take that leap yeah, yeah, it's it's been a huge testament of exactly this to even myself and growing just a deeper trust in the process and really I feel giving full focus and attention to the moments that we're in because who knows what's going to grow from them. And I would have never guessed, you know, coming from from where I've come, right? This this girl in high school, this daydreamer who knew nothing of what she wanted, who trusted an intuition to go to an all-women's military college. <laughs> the foundation that that built, right? That, that built such a, a strong foundation for how to structure oneself and how to carry oneself in the world. And yeah, and then in Los Angeles by the graces for for way too many years <laughs> and how that exposed me to to these teachings and how the teachings are now in Bali and I get to share them it's it's been an epic form of showing me to trust trust the unfolding and that each of us has our own story that that wants mm -hmm. to come through and we're the only ones that get in the way of that story. And so if we can really get out of our way, we can really watch as our reality becomes the one that the little girls in us, yeah. the little people in us dreamed of. So. Yeah. That's so cool. What, so what is a day in your life like in Bali? Like what is your typical routine like? So yeah, my my typical routine, I would say most most days. Well, the first thing is, I I wake up and I make the bed, 
And uh, I mean, any every day could be so different, but I meditate uh, and then clean the house and I sweep and then I sit for tea. And then if I have like a commitment that day, then there's an alarm set for sure <laughs> to make sure that I make that function. If I'm serving at the tea house, I set an alarm. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I try not to set alarms and I try to let my my body kind of tell me what it needs for that day mm -hmm. and just tune in and and most of my days are here and meditating and studying and I mean anything's possible so yeah it's there's a number of of things that also could could happen but I try to get out you know as much as possible to into nature here and but I feel like most of my days are this routine of of sitting, of studying, of sitting with tea, and of finding ways, greater ways to be in service. That's very cool. I know I kind of asked you before this when we were like communicating um, on Instagram uh, about you getting into poetry. So I noticed like you have some poems kind of incorporated into uh like your captions for some of your photos how like when did you kind of start writing and um how important is that to you like on a daily basis just to um explore like your creativity mm. Yeah. So I, I'm so curious for you and for listeners in general about this, but I feel like a lot of adulthood is just retracing the breadcrumbs to who we were as, as kids. Mm -hmm. And so like the things that we find that light us up, we might one day realize, oh yeah, I actually did that when I was six or when I was seven. Um, and it kind of is this indicator for me that it's like, it's a true form of who you are, right? So tea actually was introduced to me when I was seven. I had a tea ceremony that was given to me at the time. And it's really uh, a pivotal moment in my, my, young, my young self. Uh, so, so tea like, was introduced to me then and, and has been a part of, of me for longer than I, I realized. And poetry is the same. Um, I wrote poetry in elementary school. I remember like getting like published in the school paper, you know. But I, my mom, you know, being the, the incredible, compassionate and, and concerned parent that she is <laughs> and was, um, I remember she read one of my, my pieces and she was like, are, are you okay? Like, uh, do we need to go talk to somebody? <laughs> and I remember that moment being like, oh, uh, maybe this isn't okay. And I, I now realize my stuff was really deep for a child. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time, I didn't, I, I didn't realize that. But I, I can now see why she would have been concerned. I probably would have been too. Um, so poetry came back into my life. When I was in California, I was living on the ocean at one point in time. And I felt like being that in tune with nature, like the rhythm of nature, how soothing that was for my, my being. Uh, my nervous system, it was allowing a lot to come through. So yeah, I've been and I've been writing ever since. And my process is interesting. I feel like I write in a couple ways. Like 
Poetry-wise, to be honest, there's no process that I'm aware of. It actually just comes. You know, there's a moment where I'm like, oh, I got to sit. And the words just come. And there's even moments where a word comes and I go, what does that mean? And I literally highlight it if I'm writing on my phone and I Google, like, you know, I do the Google, what is it called? Mm -hmm. Uh, Dictionary. Oh, you know, to be like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually the perfect. That's the perfect <laughs> word. Of course. Yeah, cool. We're going to use that word. So really, um, it's a cool process for me because I learn a lot in this process of of writing. And it's it's not something I'm thinking of. It's something that's literally just pouring out of me. And tea, I notice, kind of aids in this for me. Um, I don't need to sit with tea, but I notice that the tea aids in this process. And so a large part is, of tea for me is poetry and sharing my poetry with others. Uh, and then, then the other portion of my writing is like my journal entries and where I'm really striving in that way to like get out everything that's just sitting in me and understand these human qualities to myself, this mind that wants to run in a bunch of different directions and like getting it all out into paper. Um, and from there, something might get inspired. to write so uh, a few forms of writing uh, two at least that are strongly present in my life I feel like one serving the other for sure or, or both serving each other but poetry is for me it's a filter I feel like our speech sometimes at least mine does such an injustice for what I want to express. And I feel like the world is so loud, you know? <laughs> and especially now, we can get on our devices and hear anyone's opinion at any point in time. And for me, poetry is this way of like taking all those words if they were like a liquid and pouring them through a filter. And what you strain, what remains, that's that's poetry to me. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Can I actually I was looking through some of your poetry. Can I I screenshotted one that I really liked. Can I read it to you? Yeah, I would love that. Okay. Um how it feels to feel when outside this moment nothing is truer, breathing in and out. Tending to truth, moving from feeling, replies from intuition, require no calculation, and add to a sum of what will be. To fall gently is to land on firm feet, letting the music course her veins, giving it all, all away. In truth, it's all a meditation. How do you love yourself when nobody is looking? And can it not be felt, the trace of your being, even that which no one is seeing, feeling? Revealing all secrecy, feel, unravel yourself whole. I This one really stuck out to me. The part that stuck out to me the most was how do you love yourself when nobody is looking? And I feel like 
it stuck out to me because, you know, this world, like you said, is so loud and it it is so challenging. And it, I feel like we're just under so much pressure, right? Um, whether it's like work-related relationships, friendships, like money, um, social media, like everything politically that's going on like causes us so much stress so and it's like how are you treating yourself like when no one's looking are you saying that you take care of yourself but at the end of the day you're you're not you're still like neglecting yourself or are you truly like putting in that effort to grow and like find things that give you purpose and peace and meaning Wow. It's really cool to hear somebody else read your poetry. That's a first for me. And to hear someone's insights from it. And the reflection that that brings and the reminder that that brings that this is of importance and in this line in particular, the importance that that carries. And, and it's coming through in this moment to remind me too. Thank you. Yeah. How do you love yourself when no one is looking? And that translates. Mm -hmm. It translates in, a, in an unspoken way. You can feel that with people. You know, you can feel the people who are loving themselves and you can feel the people who, who are lacking a little bit of that love. Splitting. Yeah, it's a signature that, that leaves a silent trace. And can we love ourselves whole? That's the journey. That's the huge part of it, I feel. Yeah. So I, I honestly, I love like all of this like transformation. Like I said, kind of like how I knew you like in college, I like really admire this, um, transition that you've had and like it's very inspiring to see you embrace all these creative side sides to yourself because like you said you know creativity is something I feel like especially our generation like growing up we were kind of told to push the creative things like to the side or push them down because um for us it was all about like you need to go to college you need to you know, become a doctor, a lawyer, like these traditional things. And so we kind of stifled like our creativity. Like I remember in middle school, I wanted to be in band. And my dad was like, no, you need to take like typing classes and technology and things like that. And I was just like so bummed um, that I, you know, couldn't find those ways to embrace like that creativity. But I think kind of this podcast has been an outlet for me to find those creative outlets. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, if you don't mind me asking, what would you have played in band, do you think, if you had been in band? What would you have gravitated toward? Percussion. <laughs> uh, okay. Specifically Drum. anything? Um, 
I, you know, I, my uncle was a drummer, like in an actual like rock band. And I always thought that was so cool. So like, yeah, probably like maybe like snare or something like that. Yeah. I just thought the drums were really cool. So probably, yeah, like the snare or something. And then, you know, if I had, maybe have I would have gotten ended... in there at some point. No, I haven't. I, you know, it's like one of those things I lack coordination. I probably, if I really wanted to like go down that path, I could, but I do love music. Like I'm obsessed with music. I love going yeah. to concerts. Um, yeah. If I, I really wish I could sing better. If I could sing better. Yeah. I love singing, but you, you know, it's not good for people's ears. It's fit, fit, fit. Okay. I'm curious. Is there like a song that you are like playing on repeat always or that you're presently playing on re repeat? Is there like this? A song in particular um it's funny because it's not necessarily a song singing wise that's on repeat but like i am trying to like embrace because i <laughs> tesla gave me a hard time um when we were in providence uh for like she said that all my music is sad <laughs> like uh <laughs> which it, it you know i do play a lot of sad girl music so you know, that is what it is. But lately, um, <laughs> there's this song by Paul Russell called like Lil Boo Thing. And it's like, I it's just so fun. And like, I just like dancing to it um, <laughs> in the kitchen in the morning when I'm like making my breakfast. So like, honestly, that's the one that's been on repeat because like, I just really enjoy it. Okay, I'm going to listen to that later. I'm really oh, yeah, I'll send it too. to you. Yeah, it's just fun. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, it just like makes you want to dance. And I'm not like a dancer, but like it just makes you want to. We are all dancers. (laughs) Yes, totally. We are all dancers. Yeah, but it it's it's a fun song. And so yeah, that is the song that has been like honestly, I could play it at any moment. Um, and it's just yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I'm trying to I'm trying to lean into like some fun songs that bring me joy um and focus less on like the sad girl music but you know that's why i love taylor swift and i'm sure me and jane are gonna talk for oh yeah about taylor swift like her lyrics like i mean a lot of them are sad girl lyrics and that's like why she is so great (laughs) yeah and i mean like sad i mean there's a time and place for everything right and i feel like sad girl music like or sad music or melancholic music it lets us feel and like we live in a world that like doesn't want us to feel Mm -hmm. and so like that permission like oh I can beat you with this and I can feel this that's powerful that you know that is a good point because in in my episode with like jazz role like we talk about how my personality I would have never guessed like um one of my letters is f for feeling and so like when I was younger, I would have never admitted that I like like I have feelings like I always wanted to be tough and things like that. So that kind of brings up a good point of like maybe why, you know, that kind of music resonates with me so much is because it gave me a safe place to have those feelings and feel those feelings without necessarily like sharing them with other people or talking to other people about it, if that makes sense. It totally it's- makes sense i feel like this is what i was mostly doing in high school as i was sitting with my little walkman in my bedroom 
listening to the latest like Ashanti or J-Lo <laughs> and being like, I feel this. <laughs> yeah. And that was like, I told, I totally, I get it. I get it. You're speaking yeah. with a kindred spirit. A hundred percent. And have you seen these videos too, which are really cool? Um, if you like Google on YouTube, I, I don't know what, what to Google exactly, but it's basically um, music is being played. And uh, it's synced up to this like drum of sort. And the drum has sand poured on it. And I think you can do this with water droplets as well. And when music is played uh, on this drum with this droplets or sand on it, it structures it to create a shape. It's so cool. It's mesmerizing. So as the music is playing, you're watching different shapes, geometric shapes take form. And what it's showing to us is that music has an, a structure geometric effect, right, on, on matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our bodies, if we want to use the water example, because they do this with water droplets too, being composed of mostly water. We can then infer that the sounds that we're taking in are having a similar geometric effect on the cells and the water in our body. And we could go on and on down that rabbit hole of what could be occurring. But I think the important takeaway for me on that is like there is something deeply happening when one listens to music Mm -hmm. much deeper than one can really understand or tangibly. except so i feel like music is is a huge part of life in our being and how we get to move through things so yeah i'm all about creating like creating a playlist is a love language like right remember the days where we it used to like, burn cds for each other like like creating a playlist is a whole love language and this is mm-hmm. that's a rabbit hole i could go down forever too yeah um but i'm a huge proponent of music and and lately in in tea um, or I shouldn't say lately, like in general with tea, like it's setting the whole moment for that ceremony. Like what music am I going to select? What what mood in it is wanting to be evoked? Uh, because we're drinking, you know, essentially water with tea leaves. Uh, so the effect of this music is going to have even greater impact perhaps and be felt. But also just selecting the right music in general is important. Like that's why we have DJs in this world that are so popular. Um but yeah, music is such a tool. It's such a vehicle for our evolution along this this experience in life. So I'm really glad that you're going to get to go deeper on this with Jane in the next episode. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about Taylor Swift. Like I could have interviewed her before. Like she saw Taylor Swift, but I was like, no, like I can't interview her until after she went oh, to the Arabs good tour. Good point. I didn't yeah. think. You actually thought about that. Yeah. Before. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited to have that conversation with her. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, totally. I'm yeah. stoked for it, too. All right. Well, I guess, you know, um, we're kind of at the point to where we have been recording for a while. So... As much as it yeah. like pains me to like kind of go
go into this last part, um, which is kind of like the plugs piece. So like at the end of each episode, I always ask um, whoever I'm interviewing if there's anything they want to plug, like a social media page or um, like it could be, um, I don't know why I'm blanking. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm blanking. Yeah, it could be a social media page. It could just be a project. A plug. Or, a plug. Yeah, yeah, it's a plug. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> well, I, I do have, like, the first person I want to plug yeah. um, is my dad. So I talked to him yesterday, Aww. and I told him that I was going to be doing this with you. And he was like, tell her I say hello, and if she needs anybody to interview, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll plug him first. He says hello. And... Yeah, he was really stoked to hear that we were going to be doing this today. And he was really stoked to hear that you are doing this. That's and so cool. I was like, yeah, me too. So thank you for what you're putting out there. Um, I'll plug the All Girls School podcast, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, I am, we, we all are like a culmination of, of events that happened to us, of the people that impact us of the love and grace that were shown. So I am, I am nothing but a culmination of people who have devoted themselves in some way at some point in time to, to me. Um, and, uh, oh, today is my mom's birthday too, which I think has me in my feels a little bit more also Aww. today in Bali. But um, yeah, my true plugs, I guess, then were my parents at the beginning. But, but, uh, if you guys are interested in tea at all, in this way of tea, come to Bali and visit me first and let, let's sit and have tea. Uh, but secondly, if you want to learn more, um, my teacher is under the name, under the, uh, the Instagram handle is Global Tea Hut. So he personally doesn't get on here, but his way and his teaching can be found under Global Tea Hut out of Taiwan. So I want to make mention to that. And uh, if you are in the state, uh, a dear friend following this way and who is, uh, you know, just an epic teacher in his own right, um, Living Tea. And he has a community out in Colorado, but also travels around U.S. doing uh, tea ceremonies. He said, yeah, sharing the way. So uh, Colin out of, of Living Tea. Um, so I'll plug those to Global Tea Hut and Living Tea. Uh, there's some cool peeps if you guys are interested in getting into tea at all or understanding more that path. But yeah, come visit me. Have, let's have tea. Let's hang. Hey, um, I mean, I already told the listeners in the first episode I like to travel. So don't tempt me with a like good travel option because I'll do it. <laughs> Hey, we're here. Yeah. I'm waiting. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I mean, I'm serious. I might because uh, I haven't had a trip in a while. So I'm in the market. I'm looking. I'm looking for what my my next trip is going to be. Thanks for listening to the All Girls School podcast. But before class is over, please take a moment to subscribe or leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcast. If you enjoy video content, head over to our YouTube channel at All Girls School Podcast, where you can watch and listen to each episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Girls School Podcast 
And you can email us questions, stories, and more at theallgirlschoolpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Class is dismissed.